Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that's coming at the perfect time. It's it's time to do a little bit of stargazing. And uh, Mark, how are you, Z-Man? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing great. I, just like we predicted last week, we won all four on the road. This team is hot. I mean, uh, they're they're certainly on fire. Um, and and just thanks to 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 head coach Rick Bonus, who just continues to give me just wonderfully blood pressure spiking quotes I can drop into these show intros and. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird remark. We're going to talk obviously about the the four game winning streak. We're going to talk about Alexander Radulov and and being back, and we're going to talk about Klingberg being hurt. We'll obviously have to talk about Pavelski, Henson, Robo. Um, we just have to now because they make us and talk a little Gurianov and and really just see uh, see how things develop. And if there's anything else you want to slip in, we we certainly can. But let's start with the big picture. So uh, four on the road in a row all at once. Um, that makes it four of the last five for Dallas. I think they're. I think they've won more than they've lost this month, and and we should be really excited and happy, right? Well, I think so. I uh, ignore the fact that we were going through the basement of the East, and ignore the fact that oh, we didn't really look all that great in several of the games. We were looking at four games where a Dallas Stars team in the past would have found a way to lose at least one, if not two or three of these games. Yep. And, and the fact of the matter, they they won the games they should have won. And I think that's grounds for celebration. I mean, they, with their state, right, getting a little, you know, and kind of, st- I guess, starting at the, the front of the month, right? They opened strong. Um, the wins against Florida and Pittsburgh were fantastic. Uh, and the crazy thing is, right, if, if, we, if, if we take away – a just classic all-time angry hockey gods meltdown against St. Louis. This is a Dallas team that's that's really only lost kind of one bad one since the calendar flipped, right? So I, I think you're right. It, it you know I remember very distinctly after Montreal watching the the opening of the Buffalo game and and how that sort of began. And I think you're right. You, we'll we'll get to strength of schedule and we'll get to some of the caveats here in a bit. But I, I do think you have to give credit for, you know, you don't have to give credit for how they played against Montreal. That's they they lost a imminently winnable game. But, you know, having done that, having made that mistake to all of a sudden be in Buffalo the first night of a back to back to play poorly, knowing that you have a game the next night. Like, I mean, how many times and not just the stars thing. Right. But. How many times have you seen a team look at the way that Buffalo game developed, kind of pack up the tent, right, and say, hey, we've, we've got a game the next night. Let's maybe discretion is the better course of valor this one and see if we can take it out on the Red Wings. And, and to their credit, they didn't. Yeah, and I mean, they, they just keep on getting points. And the thing that maybe gives me a little of encouragement is that the you know right now I'm, I'm looking forward and the schedule looks pretty daunting. So we, we have some good hockey clubs that are that are coming up here, and we were worried about this before. And the last time they hit a run against some hot and and, and high quality hockey teams, they won a lot of those games. Yeah, and, and just to and, for those that don't have a schedule in front, the the what stands out is so Dallas's next three games kicking off Friday they have Washington at home. They have Boston at home. They have Calgary at home. 
And then they've got a pretty significant break. They've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They've got eight days off between Calgary and um, Nashville. And then they've got Nashville, Winnipeg, and then a brutal back-to-back. Not back-to-back, sorry, there's a day in between, but they have a home-and-home against Colorado. So really looking at their next hat full of games, there's not really a, you know, maybe maybe Winnipeg, they've been inconsistent this season, but there's there's not really a, a bad team in the bunch staring them down right now. Right. And even there, you know, Winnipeg's kind of the team that's sitting on the other side of the playoff bubble from us. So, you know, whether, whether they're on the upswing or the downswing, that's a team that we need to play well against. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny. We were joking before the, the podcast, right? It would be the, the most Dallas stars thing in the world to watch this team struggle mightily against da- against Buffalo, against Detroit, against Philadelphia, and then watch them come home with some swagger and, and blow Washington, Boston, and Calgary off the map. Like, would would that, at, at this point, nothing would shock you, right? But on a scale of 1 to 10, right, how surprising would it be to wake up on the morning of January 29th and find out Dallas put a crooked number up on the Capitals? Right, exactly. Well, And, and you know, we've talked about this before where we're, the, the Dallas Stars play low event hockey hmm. and you, you kind of rue that when you're playing bad teams because you know you're better than that and if you give yourself more chances you're going to beat them worse and not have luck become a factor but you flip that 180 degrees when you're playing these really good hockey teams and so when you're playing the Bostons when you're playing the Washingtons these other teams that are pretty solidly in the in playoff positions if you can get it down so it's a one goal game the stars have proven that they can hold their own in, in one goal games. And even if they do turtle a little bit and get into overtime, they're playing great in overtime too. Yeah. Apparently they fixed that this year. Yeah. And they, they have. And and I think that is important. And that, that does track well to, you know, playing against better teams. It, it irks me a little bit, right? Because we're, we're back to talking David strategies and it's one of those situations where is, is, are we really okay Given, you know, and it would, I'm going to get, we'll bring Rick Bonus and his infuriating quote machine back into, and he made some comments heading into Detroit about how the team's identity are, is Michael Raffle and Luke Glendening. And, you know, first off, carve out caveat, right? It's, it's, it's always coach speak, right? You can never take anything they say in a press conference. He's probably trying to glow up a couple of guys that have games against old teams, right? And so there's, there's an element of performance to it. But my my counter would be is as encouraging as it can be to have a team that is capable of playing a low event one goal game against a squad like Washington or a squad like Boston. It is also to me frustrating when you have a cap team, right? Dallas is, is spinning towards the very bleeding edge of the salary cap. You have a cap team. You have a generational defenseman in Miro Haskinen. You have Joe Pavelski absolutely turning back. You know, you've got you've got Hints, Robertson, Pavelski. You know, you, you've got so much. And are we really content? Is it, is it okay for us to look at that and say, well, thank goodness they can play one goal games against good teams. Right. And, and, and in, you know, in, in some ways I think it, it begs the question because when you dig deeper, what you're saying, when you you talk about, you have your hints line and you have Miro, um, but where's the supporting cast? Mm-hmm. And there were some sus- some suspicious uh, sightings on this last trip. And I mean, th- there, there was some talk that maybe Ben and Sagan with Gurianov was going to turn into that second scoring line. But we also saw a little bit of this mind meld where, where uh, 
um, Jacob Peterson can kind of figure out where Radulov is going to throw the puck. And if, if somebody can mine mill into Radulov that way, that'll produce a lot of goals. Yeah, I mean, you've been on that train uh, a couple of podcasts now talking about the the problem with Alex Radulov is he's very, very distinct. He goes in and creates chaos and then he puts the puck in a dangerous spot. And his his challenge is if you don't play somebody with him that knows where those spots are, it's just wasted motion. But yeah, we we saw flourishes. I think it's it's Peterson has goals in back to back games. Peterson has eight on the season, which yeah. is that's significant for a it, team that has a dearth of scoring options outside of that big first line. And, and just extending it, we had, you know, there was a definite Tyler Sagan sighting on this road trip. He had a, a big game against Buffalo. He scored. You know, not just he obviously banked one in. Right. But he scored a pretty one as well. And what has stood out to me on the Sagan front is, you know, I think maybe and a guy on my rec team mentioned this, but talking about I think we may have discounted just how severe the injury was. And, and, you know, I don't know that optimistic is the right word to use when talking about the Dallas Stars ever. But there is something to be said for how long it takes to round back into form after how long he was out. And they're. So, you know, definitive signs of life there. Um, all of a sudden you have Alex Radulov popping up on, um, you know, creating offense. You have, you know, the, the obligatory, we'll talk about this in a minute, the obligatory Guryanov benching, but all of a sudden is Riley Damiani being dropped onto the line with Ben and Sagan instead of the usual, you know, let's throw Kiwi up there, security blanket, Rick Bonus nonsense. So all of a sudden you have combinations and experimentation with offensive players and Damiani looked pretty good with with that unit so I mean I don't want to I'm not hanging any banners or anything but I think you're right there there has been secondary scoring over the past few games yeah and and it's looked like sustainable and and with Sagan I mean I I think if you took a look at a clip of Sagan a month ago and the way he was skating and and the way he's skating now and, and looked at him kind of side by side you would just notice major differences. And and I may just go back and, and, and put together some clips and do that. But, you know, that that is only going to improve with time. You hope so. Um, you, you hope so. And and the thing, you know, you mentioned Damiani and Gurianov. Um, the one thing I like out, out of this, and, you know, we can talk a little bit about the coach speak and, 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 and you know, being harsh in public to Gurianov, but then on the other hand, spending some time going through some films saying here, here are areas where you can improve. One of the things that I liked about it was in fact that they moved uh, Riley Damiani up there. And that one gives Damiani a chance to play with some guys who have some actual skill and, and kind of play his game, but also in the back of the mind, maybe it's messing with Gurianov a little bit more by saying, you know, there are, there are other guys who can fill this role if if you don't if you don't step up. And I think that's a great yeah. point, and I think it also breaks out of that. You know, how how frustrated have we been in the past with stars orthodoxy, where it's like, oh, okay, there, you know, let's let's make sure we have balance, aka, let's put an anchor on every line just in case, or oh, you're struggling, let's let's give you, you know, it's. They they call up a kid like Riley Damiani, Riley Damiani profiles as a scorer at the NHL level, right? That's that's what his role is going to be if he makes the show. He's not going to be your your bottom six guy, right? So 
what would be the point of calling him up and playing him? I made a comment at one point, like, why do you call him up and play him with Michael Raffle and Luke Lindenning? What does that, what does that do to ease his transition or to test his preparedness for the NHL when you're putting him in a situation that is out of his profile, right? It's like calling up, you know, Thomas Harley and playing him at left wing. Like, what do you learn? And I was very pleased that, you know, and obviously you've got to learn the game and, and all that. And there, there is a reason to play a little bit with players like that, but you have to also balance it with playing in legitimate offensive situations. And, and it, the stars were reward, rewarded for it. He played well with Jamie Benn and with Tyler Sagan. And that line was fluid and that line generated chances while he was out there. Yep. Yep. And, and the thing is, you know, as fans, we've, we've gotten comfortable to this idea that, that Gurionov is this uh he, he his peg is going to go somewhere in the lineup mm-hmm. and and at a certain point if you're going to say Gurianov deserves his chance well maybe we need to say Damiani deserves his chance and that chance may be to the detriment of Gurianov but having good healthy competition for positions uh between skilled players I think is only a positive thing and and, well, and real and athletes step up to that kind of competition and I, I think I think you just said the key and the thing that I was going to call it anyways it's having competition amongst skill players and yep. I think that a lot of the fury that that circled around the Dennis Curry let's find there's the Essa Lindell wars and the Trevor Daly wars before that now we've got the Dennis Gurionov wars I think a lot of the anger at least for me personally right what made me the angriest about the lineup treatment of Dennis Gurionov was he was wasn't being demoted or benched in favor of offensive options, right? They were giving those minutes to Radic Foxa and Michael Raffle and, you know, Jason Dickinson, RIP his face, right? So it was the, the problem was it, it wasn't a competition because it was a punishment. Exactly. It was a punishment. Yeah. And as a motivator, as, to your point, as a motivator, like, what does that teach you? Okay, if I if I mess up, they're just gonna blow up the entire life. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Whereas now, to your point, like it it is fair to start looking at the developmental track of looking at what Hens did and looking at how Gurion, uh, sorry, not Gurion, looking at how um, Jason Robertson has played. And it's, it is starting to be fair even to look at, it's a much smaller sample size, but Jacob Peterson, you are starting to see players in or even behind um, Dennis Gurionov's cohort start to accelerate and kind of create some distance. And while Gurionov can tantalize and while he definitely you know, in my opinion, it needs more of a chance. He, you know, he, he scored a, a boatload in the play and he has led the team in goals before, and that's not nothing. Right. Yep. But I think it is, it's, it's much, much different when it's Dallas tinkering with ice time amongst players that profile offensively versus just banishing someone to, to, you know, the lost Island and, and hoping they figure it out all on their own. Right. And, and, you know, I'll say a bit in Damiani's favor here you know, he he did accept that fourth line role. That first game he came in, he scored. Mm-hmm. He 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 chipped paint with a bunch of guys. He so showed some great attitude. He he had high energy. I mean, he did a lot of the things that I think people would look for as somebody who's given an opportunity. He didn't become a wallflower. He he put it. He put his face into the mix and was willing to take some chances. And and. So reward the kid for doing that. You know, we've seen we've seen hints, we've seen Robertson, we've seen a handful of these young kids come in and demonstrate that they belong. And Damiani, if he's willing to come up and take Gurianov's spot, then and and, and deserves it, 
then yep. all the better for the team. It, all the better for the team and all the better for Gurionov because, yeah. you know, and, and honestly, both in the sense of a personal motivator, but also in the sense of it's going to, if, if they can find, if, if they can find other pieces, it takes the pressure down. Well, again, part of why there was such outrage and part of why Gurionov became such a flashpoint is the team was turfing one of its few scoring options during periods of time when it couldn't buy a goal outside of the top line. And so yep. just just optically, you were creating, you know, the, the house is on fire and, and, and you're punishing the kid with the bucket. Right. But if if you have other options and if the team is producing goals, then you have a little bit more flexibility to make a decision like that. And it doesn't turn into such a, you know, a cultural touch point. Right. And, and maybe you can work with the kid a little bit without the glare on you and maybe you can affect some positive change. Yeah, and I mean, I, I hate to psychoanalyze Gurianov, but uh, he's a he's from all accounts a very intelligent player, and and that's not something that you see all over the place in in hockey, and you saw it down. <laughs> you, a very you saw it down at, not, not yeah, always, but but you saw it down at the AHL level where where he was given the opportunity. He, he learns intellectually. Mm-hmm. And, and that's somewhat different than kind of learning through doing. And so in some ways, I think at early on, it makes him a little tentative because he's he's doing based on what his brain is thinking about. Yep. And that slows you down. It keeps you a little tentative. And so it takes him a little while longer, I think, than than other hockey players might to get into the flow of what he wants to do. And and so his processes I, mentally, I think, are a little slower in a hockey sense, just because they're much higher in a non-hockey sense. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And and here's hoping that, you know, that if if, if Radulov can catch a little bit of health, if if Ben and Sagan can continue to to round into form, and then yeah, you've got all of a sudden. I mean, heck, if, if Radulov can get a third line going, that is yet another spot that might be somewhere you could put, you know, Riley or or Dennis. Or you know, you've, you've got it was the best case we talked about coming into the season is all of a sudden you have options. And that would be that would be wonderful. Uh, you know, I'd say less wonderful kind of pivoting to the blue line is, you know, John Klingberg has been I'll start. I'll, let me start by asking you this thing. Uh, personal assuming that everything will ultimately be okay. Did this injury come at a good time for John Klingberg? <sighs> I don't know. Uh, it's, you know, I think John, I, I, I think Klingberg is, is distracted and, and that doesn't help his game. It's, it, it's not helping the team. It's not helping him. Um, and I, you know, we've we've talked enough about why it's in the team's interest to kind of delay making a decision about Klingberg's contract moving forward. Um, uh, you know, at a certain point, at a, at a certain point, it'd be nice to just have somebody from the from from the front office work with his agent and say, "Here's what's going on. Um, yes, we're interested, and here's the conditions that we're interested in. Here's where we see things happening, and just take it off the table. Yeah, because you know, I, I, I can imagine in any you know any any place in life when you have something big that's hanging over your head, like what your future is going to be for the next eight years, um, with something that you've done your, your entire life. I mean, that can't help but uh, but be a, a detriment to uh, your performance. 
I think that, yeah, there's that. And I also think it can't be underestimated that not only is it considering his, you know, broader future, but it's also like, there's a bunch of, uh, and again, we're, I'm not privy to any of the internal workings of John Klingberg, but this it's, it's not just about his future. It's also about his past. And that this is a guy that, that notably, right. Took a, a major, you know, gave the team, gave the team a good guy with, you know, with his initial contract it has been, you know, under underpaid for the duration of his deal. And, you know, he signed the contract, so I'm not feeling sorry for the guy, but, but there is a lot more angst caught up in this than just, I don't know where I'm going to forward my mail next season, right? There is a, does this organization that I've, that I've given things to, does this organization, you know, he scored huge goals. He eliminated Nashville one unit. All of the things that John Klingberg has done for this team are now manifesting in a contract impasse. And, you know, again, I don't think we need to be getting too deep into his specific psyche to say, yeah, that's probably going to mess with you. Well, and and I think if you get into the nuts and bolts of how uh, of how comparative values work for players, you you kind of realize the conundrum that Klingberg's in. I mean, first of all, his time on ice, everything related to how he plays is directly a result of how much ice time and who he's paired with. So there's a there's a bit of a, a burden that he faces just if he's placed in a role that is not conducive to his success and how that works out when you put together contracts and, and, and comps for who, what players you're being compared to. I mean, they're looking at things like goal scored and assists and plus minus all these very basic statistics. And if Klingberg is in a situation where Dallas scores, you know, you know, two goals for every three goals that all the other teams in the league are scoring Klingberg's numbers are going to look like crap, yeah. and and that's going to translate directly into dollars for for what somebody wants to sign him for, and and, and so it's lose lose. And it's it's not just that, and I think that's where that's where you get to situations. You know, as much as we like to vent about bad contracts, right? That's that's where you start to understand why the pay works a guy like Klingberg part of why you can convince a player like that to make sacrifices for a broader team structure is because you know he'll get taken care of on the back end right it's it's part of why a player like Jamie Ben plays as hard and as physical and, and and does the things that he does early in his career he's not an idiot like you know there there's aging curves aren't secret right they they everyone knew what was going to happen as as you know look just look at Brendan Morrow right the way that you get guys to do that is because when those ELTs expire and when they're not restricted anymore, you take care of them and you say, yeah, this, the, the back, the back nine of this deal is going to look, you know, pretty rough, but Hey, we, we got this much out of you before we got to that point. So it's, it's, yeah. Right. I think, right. I, I mean, it's a way that you can spread the, it's a way that you can spread the cap hit across contracts. And, and the reason this works that way is because if you as an organization churn and burn, if you if you run somebody like Jamie Ben through the ringer so that they're they're semi, you know, they're they're at the end of their aging curve by the time they're supposed to be signing their next deal. Um, if you do that to a couple guys, nobody's going to want to play for you. I mean, there there is something to be said for you know, look at look at Jim Nell and look at Dallas's record in free agency. And look at the types of players they've been able to get and get to come play in Dallas in, in years when, 
you know, this this has not been a juggernaut making the playoff every season. And yet they've been able to pull in the Alex Radulovs of the world. They've been able to get Ben Bishop. You know, I think um, Bishop technically was a sign and trade, but you, you, you get my point, right? They've been able to yeah. go out. They were able to get Tyler Sagan to extend. You know, they have been able to get top end talent to come into this market and play without being able to say, hey, we're in the playoffs every year, right? Worst case, it's a lottery ticket for a cup run, right? They've been able to do that. And and I do honestly think part of it is the fact that this organization is willing to take that. I, I love the way you phrase it, right? You, you're spreading out the cap hit because if you have to pay, you know, if you have to pay Jamie Ben what he's worth in his prime, that's not a $9 million cap hit, right? It's just not. Yep. But yep. It, 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 and the other thing I think is getting to your point, I was, I was, making rolling my eyes because some Miro doing this, but it's also, I think this is, this is also where, you know, Klingberg can be justifiably frustrated because how many times, how many times has this system produced a sequence where the defenseman gets the puck deep, right? Manages to, to skate through some pressure, get it into the neutral zone, makes a pass only to have that pass bunted into the corner for a long dump, right? Like how many, how many, how many, you know, you know, egg, possession does this team waste because their style prioritizes getting the puck back right yep and that's, no, that, that's, that's got to win that, that that's that costs you points and points cost you money when you're a guy like john klingberg right exactly and and, and so you you need the buy-in from the players to know that you're going to get taken care of because you're sacrificing you're sacrificing your numbers for the for the identity of the team if you will yeah, you are. So, and, and part of why I, I open this by saying, you know, is the injury a good thing? And, and this is, I, at this point, um, you know, it's, it's upper body, it's day to day. There's, there's no like, and I'm Googling just in case there's, there's nothing that seems to suggest that it's going to be this terrible lingering thing. So part of me, when I saw the news, he was going to miss a couple of games. I almost thought that, Hey, you know what? assuming, you know, maybe he, hopefully he gets back in time for Washington at the end of this week, how appropriate it would be to have John Klingberg play on, on the night they um, celebrate Zuboff. Right. But it's, it's one of those, as long as he's okay in the long term, I think getting a little bit of a breather and getting a little bit away from all of the chaos might do him a world of good. Because again, I, we talked about not wanting to psychoanalyze, but if ever there was a shining, you know, red light blinking example of a guy that was gripping his stick too hard, it's, it's been John Klingberg over about the last month. Yeah. And, well, and, and you take a look, I think it's shown up on the defensive end. It, mm -hmm. His numbers on the offensive end have been pretty much exploding. Oh, he had a four I mean, point, the, he had a four point night, right? He's Yeah. So, so he's he's taking care of the assists. You know, his, his goal numbers are obviously way down, um, but it, it's not been it's not just been John Klingberg is is playing poorly. Um, it's it's showing on the defensive end, and that's where he's most vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this is where you get. We're gonna so we say this a lot. It's it's also another area where the low event stuff comes back to bite you because. Just the human nature, right? John Klingberg makes a mistake dangling the blue line that turns into a breakaway. You notice that, right? It jumps out at you. Yep. Oh, that's bad. But John Klingberg makes half a dozen little hip shift shuffles to get the puck out of the zone and onto a forward stick who then just dumps it deep. You don't notice that. So he players of his profile, and this isn't an excuse because I do not think he has been particularly good recently, but the thing with Klingberg that you always have to remember is – he he does many subtle things well at a consequence of having the occasional 
absolute catastrophe. And you almost have to convert that in your brain as you watch him because you never notice. You don't notice the little bits of competence. You notice the the major, major mistakes. Right. And, and it's always the, it's the errors of commission that end up getting noticed, not the errors mm-hmm. of omission. And if you have a low-skilled guy, you're not going to notice that the puck went into the net because they just didn't have the talent to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, right, we're complaining about a player defenseman that has 22 points in 34 games, right? Like that's yeah. he's 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 fifth on the team in scoring. Right. You take the top line out and Miro is the only guy on the team that has more points than he does. So yep. let's let's maybe there's some stuff he needs to tighten up for sure. But let's let's maybe pump the brakes on this, you know, John Klingberg colon detriment to the team talk because no, no, he's not. Right. And, you know, it's it's kind of nice. Uh, I, I was a little little wary about it when uh, when I noticed this a week or so ago. But I, I think him back with Lindell is, is probably a good thing. And, and Miro and, uh, and and Suter is, is great. So I just I, wish I, 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 wanna, I just good. want to live in a world where we get Miro Klingberg as a pair for and we, and we won't which is a shame, but I, I think those two could be very interesting as a tandem. But, you know, they, they do end up doing that on a semi-regular basis when we're down and need a goal. So we, we've kind of seen what it does, and and it, it's it's hit and miss. I mean, when it's on, it's just incredible, and when it's off, it, it means that the game's over. That just tells me, though, some, when something's hit and miss, I can't, I can't help but look at that and think um, maybe it's because it needs more time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see that. I mean, talk, but but then again, I I would love to see uh, a a more high energy offensive focused system and uh, and a Miro a Miro Klingberg pairing in that kind of system is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of awesome, I, I don't think we'd be able to get out of here without talking a little bit about. You know, hey, we had we've had all this talk about how good the you know Pavelski and Sons group is at home and how they struggle on the road, and then uh oh, all of a sudden they they were they've been lights out dynamite during this stretch of hockey, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, apparently we ran into uh, ran into four teams that don't have a good enough shutdown pair to take care of them. <laughs> so when when you don't have when when your top pair can't stop our our top line they're going to throw up a bunch of goals and boy, did they ever, I mean, it's, it's what they got. It was um, 15 seconds into the first, sorry, 14 seconds into the first period, 16 seconds into the second period. Yeah. It's a, last, last night I, I made it, I made it to my, my wonderful ESPN plus viewing uh, a, a, about, uh, about a minute and a half in and, and, and I accidentally caught the score and I, and I, you just knew what happened. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing else that could happen. They've just yeah. been, Oof, they've been amazing. Uh, they continue to be amazing. It, it it's sustainably amazing. They're scoring off of, you know, they're scoring off of the rush. They're scoring off of the cycle. They're scoring from the defense. Like they're, you look at it, and you know, one thing, you you kind of try and go in my head at least. I go through some of the okay, well, you know, Pavelski shooting eighteen percent, and Robertson shooting eighteen percent, and Hintz is shooting seventeen percent. So okay, beep bop boop. Intellectually, that tells me that that's probably going to come down a little bit and oh no the regression monster yada 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 but then then you watch them and and you know the quality of chances they're generating it's not that they're taking you know fluttering wrist shots from the blue line and they're finding holes right it's it's that 
they're scoring on such a high clip because it, it feels like every time they get the puck in a scoring situation, it's it's one on one or the goalie's swimming. You know what I mean? That they're they're it's high they're, danger. Yeah, and, and, and they're only getting the good thing, chances. You know, you're statistically you can say, oh yeah, this guy's shooting twenty percent. That's not sustainable. But that's one guy. If you've got one guy who's shooting who's at eighteen and one guy at seventeen and one guy fifteen. The, the the statistical odds that each one of them is uh, is, is having this extraordinary shooting luck, uh, it becomes a lot less uh, certain. That may have something to do with skill. Yeah, right. Just just a, a potentially just a touch to do with skill. They've been. Uh, and, and it was the kind of performance that they, you know, you could argue that maybe they they did shouldn't have had to need that against the the murderers row of teams that they just played, but it it sure did make my my victory green heart swell to see that line produce on the road in a couple of situations. Again, whatever you think of the opponents, there were a couple of situations. Three of those games were close, right? Three yep. of those games, they really needed their difference makers, and they got them all three times, and then they they won a laugher in Jersey. So it's, it's good to see. Yeah, and, and the one thing I will say further on the on the hints line, they cycle, but mm. they cycle different than normal cycle teams. Normal cycle teams kind of cycle on the boards and they take it up high. And you take a look at the cycle that the hints line does. And it's almost like a, a below the dot cycle. Yeah. They're they're every every time they put the put their stick on the puck, it's potentially in a position where it can generate a high high danger scoring chance. And and there, so there's no relief. And and they react to each other and they they it, it's almost like the puck goes to a certain place and they they instinctively know where it's going next as a as, as a trio. Well, it, it reminds me as well about just because we're in, in, you know, closing on Super Bowl season. It reminds me of a good NFL offense in that if if you decide to, hey, guess what? We're just going to play well off. Right? We're going to have a big gap. And whatever we do, we're just not going to let them get behind us. Then to your point, they'll work the middle of the slot. They'll work the point. Pavelski's tipping them in, right? You can't, you, you, so, okay. So you can't sit back. Well, fine. Then we're just going to deny, we're going to play tight. We're going to deny entries. Well, guess what? They're going to chip it behind you win the foot race, right? They, they, they score in, in each kind of each method, each phase, they can play off of the wall. They can play from behind the net. They can play on the, tra- they can play in transition. They, they can do everything. So it's, it's when they're going and I think this contributes to why they're all three playing so well and why we're, we're not so worried about regression with their, um, you know, shooting percentages. It's, you know, it's not that they do one thing really well. And if you stop giving them that one thing, well, well, what are they going to do about it? It's like, okay, well then we'll just, we'll just score in one of these other ways. And all of a sudden you've got a defense that, that you can't play too close, but you can't play too back, but you can't play too physical, but you can't play too light. You can't, you know, you can't overcover the slot, but you also have to make sure you're paying attention to the corners and you can't let them behind the net, but you kind of have to let them behind. You know, you're just right. Yeah. <laughs> you, and it's not, it's not like, okay, this, yeah, it's not like this guy's the scoring guy and this guy's the passing guy. It's like, no, they all kind of do all of that. The, the only thing that, that really stands out that's different than everything else is Hintz is kind of the speed guy. Yep. But but otherwise it's all it's all commingled and shared. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the the I think the best way to put it. They're all you know it's it's 19 goals for Pavelski and, and hence 16 for Robertson, right? 29 points for Pavelski, 23 for Robertson, 17 hence. So I guess hence maybe needs to catch up as a playmaker a little bit that slacker. But it, again, it's <laughs> your point, right? It's not it's not the old um, you know Adam Oates Brett Hull connection where one guy's got 90 goals and one guy has 90 assists. It's very right. very balanced. Yep, which which is why it's dangerous. And they're dangerous. And, and, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, they're in eighth right now and, and they're in eighth because they've got three games in hand or because they're three games ahead of Calgary <clears throat> who are technically ahead of them in terms of point percentage. So if you want to get super nerdy, Dallas is, is behind Calgary, but also if you're going to be nerdy and play the point percentage game, they're ahead of Los Angeles and Anaheim who are ahead of them in the standings. So all of the sudden, you know, we, we were kind of talking when when we were in the doldrums is the the good and the bad of the Dallas Stars this season is they're they are a four game streak in either direction away from success or failure. Right now, we're seeing what can happen if this team puts a couple of wins together. And you know what? We're going to we're, we're we're all of a sudden talking about, you know, if they if they can win a couple of more, if they can if they can find another couple of points, then it's no longer the fringes of the playoffs. It's all of a sudden getting into the meat of the conference and who knows what happens from there. Yeah. And, and there's still a lot of conference games out there. Yeah. You know, in my mind for, for some selfish reasons and otherwise just for the pure fun of it all, I think Dallas is a wonderful second wild card team. Throw them out to the Pacific. Vegas would hate it. And, and Calgary would hate it. Edmonton would hate it. The Ducks would hate it. The Kings would hate it. I don't care who who the other three teams out there. If if you if you put Dallas in as the second wild card, yeah, maybe Vegas is a favorite in that series, but none of the other teams are. And I mean, it's it's a it's a particularly hockey cliche, but I feel like it's an accurate one. Dallas Dallas is there if they can make the playoffs, right? They're they're not necessarily a team that's built for sustained success against a variety of po- opponents spread out over across the entirety of a league. I, and I think this is what we're not going to, we're not going to fight the bonus wars tonight, but this, you know, they're, they're not, they're not tactically astute um, or systemically strong enough to have that kind of consistency, but it's definitely a team that, that can find a handful of matchups against a single opponent over a short amount of time and, and out fight them. Right. I mean, we saw it when they, when they made it to the cup, right. They, they were able to pull it. So it's, it's one of those, like if, if they can get in, then, you know, world of possibilities. Right. Well, and, and we got a visit, a winning goaltender who has his name on the cup already. And they're playing and he, he's playing well too. It, it's yep. there. You know, it's it's a we we will see, and we've been here before as the Dallas Stars. We'll see when Washington comes to town. You know, we're we're about to hit a little show me stretch of hockey, and it will be interesting to see if this is, um, you know, where they are. It's a good temperature check because because realistically, right, they've played what three bad games, um, sorry, three bad results: Montreal, Florida, Tampa Bay. They've they've just had a very good month, I guess. I'm I'm tripping over my tongue. Yeah. They've had, they've had a very good month, and it will be interesting to see if they can finish that up strong um, and, and maybe start to win, win some hearts and minds back here. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, I mean, we have a great celebration on Friday, Sergei Zubov 
Uh, I'll have to have to pull out pull out of uh, out of its protective cover my uh, my Zubov Muteris and wear it that night. <laughs> oh my God, that jersey! <laughs> they bring the Muteris back, you cowards! Yeah, everybody needs to. I don't advocate smoking anyway, but everyone should sit in the shower with a lit cigarette on Friday, just as a a a thank you for the the many years of of amazing, wonderful play that that Sergei Zubov um, provided. Yep, yep, I. I this when I when I heard that I was had this circled. This was going to be my trip for the to Dallas, and unfortunately, it's not happening. But uh, I'll enjoy it in absentia, and hopefully, we'll enjoy the outcome of the game as well. Uh, anything else you want to get out before we wrap this thing up, Mark? Uh, well, I just hope that next uh, next podcast we can spend a little time talking about uh, Raffle and Fax and Glenn Denny. That's that. That is the team's identity. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. Make sure to download, like us, do all of the fun stuff. Talk to us on socials. KT, you are amazing bringing this all together, and we will speak next week.